Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Husky Energy third quarter 2020 conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Leo Vijegas, Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. Vijegas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our third quarter conference call. I'm joined by CEO Rob Peabody, CFO Jeff Hart, and other members of our senior management team. They'll provide an overview of our third quarter results and take your questions. Today's call has forward-looking information and includes non-GAAP measures. The ident- identification of the forward-looking information and non-GAAP measures, the risk factors and assumptions pertaining to the forward-looking information, and additional information pertaining to the non-GAAP measures are in this morning's news release and in our annual filings on CEDAR and EDGAR. Unless stated otherwise, all numbers are in Canadian currency and before royalties. You are welcome to contact our investor relations team after the call to answer any modeling questions. Now, I'll turn it over to Rob. Thanks, Leo, and good morning, everyone. A few days ago, we announced that we have entered into an agreement that will see Husky and Synovus combine in an all-stop transaction. This is a great opportunity to join with Synovus to create a new integrated energy company. Upon closing, this will be the third largest oil and gas producer in Canada and the second largest Canadian-based refiner and upgrader. It will have an integrated upstream and downstream portfolio that will provide for for enhanced free cash flow generation and superior return opportunities for investors. This combination integrates Sonova's best-in-class in-situ oil sands assets with our extensive upgrading, refining, and transportation network and high net back offshore gas production. This creates a low cost integrated competitor with a long life reserve base and a commitment to leading ESG performance. I'll now turn to our third quarter results. In the third quarter, we took a large non-cash impairment. Jeff will speak to the drivers for the impairment shortly. Over the quarter, we remain focused on reducing costs and limiting growth investments in order to generate free cash flow. Just a quick reminder of our actions so far this year, capital spending has been lowered by more than $1.8 billion. That's about $200 million lower than the last time we spoke with you. We continue to deliver on the $150 million in identified cost savings. In the third quarter, we completed a $1.25 billion public notes offering at 3.5%, which has further enhanced our liquidity. To increase free cash flow, we started up the 10,000 barrel per day Spruce Lake Central Thermal Project in Saskatchewan at the end of August. 
it is already producing above 9,000 barrels per day. We have also increased our overall thermal production and sunrise production is also being increased towards full capacity. In Asia, the new 29-1 field at Liwan will begin providing natural gas to customers in southern China within the next few days. Both 29-1 and Spruce Lake Central were completed safely ahead of schedule and within or below our original budgets, and both will generate immediate free cash flow at current pricing. Turning to the downstream, throughput at the Lima refinery was about 154,000 barrels per day in the quarter, up from around 130,000 barrels per day in the second quarter. Demand for refined products has been on a slow and uneven trajectory. We continue to optimize our refining rates and yields for changing market conditions. At Lloyd Minster, we have wrapped up a major turnaround at the upgrader. Following the turnaround, we have increased our diesel capacity from 6,000 barrels per day to nearly 10,000 barrels per day. We also saw strong demand for asphalt in the quarter, which allowed us to run the Lloyd refinery at full rates. And at the Superior refinery, the repairs are continuing with a planned restart in 2022. Moving to the offshore, we had another strong quarter in the Asia Pacific region, which delivered an overall operating margin of 227 million. And that will increase, of course, as we bring 20, the 29-1 field online in the next few days. In the Atlantic region, along with our partners, we have canceled the 2021 construction season at the West White Rose project. The project is now being placed into safekeeping mode. The project will continue to be assessed as the external environment evolves. Turning to ESG, we realized our annual, we released our annual ESG report in early August. It included clear and achievable targets to reduce our greenhouse gas emission intensity by 25% by 2025. Ultimately, we aspire to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. We also set a target to achieve 25% female representation at the senior roles in the company. In the context of the Synovus Husky transaction, the commitments of both Husky and Synovus those, both of them that we have made uh, to world-class safety performance and ESG le leadership will remain core to the combined company. Now, I'll turn the call over to Jeff. Thanks, Rob. I'll start with an overview of our financial results. The net loss of $7 billion was impacted by an after-tax impairment of $6.7 billion. This was related to lower long-term commodity price assumptions, reduced capital investment, and higher discount rates based off of recent market indicators. Funds from operations were 148 million, up from 18 million in the second quarter. And while this reflects gradual improvement in headline crude prices, it was offset by much lower realized US refining margins. Capital spending was 354 million, which included 79 million related to the superior refinery rebuild. Net debt at the end of the quarter was 5.4 billion compared to 5.1 billion at the end of Q2. This was driven by negative free cash flow and the effects of foreign exchange on US dollar denominated debt. Liquidity at the end of the quarter was 5.5 billion made up of approximately 1 billion in cash and 4.5 billion in available credit facilities. 
And as mentioned earlier, we issued $1.25 billion in notes, and the net proceeds were used in part to repay our $500 million term loan in early October. And with the completion of Spruce Lake Central, the 29-1 field, and the upgrader turnaround, our 2020 capital expenditures are trending towards $1.4 billion, excluding the Superior rebuild. Meanwhile, average overall upstream production in the third quarter was just north of 258,000 BOE per day Husky working interest. This takes into account planned maintenance work on the C-Rose FPSO and at Tucker, and an outage on a third-party Dillion pipeline to Sunrise, which had an impact of about 7,000 barrels per day for the month of September. Downstream throughput averaged just over 300,000 barrels per day, which included a turnaround at the Lloydminster upgrader. Thanks, and we'll now go back to the operator for questions. We will now begin the analyst question and answer session. Any analyst who wishes to join to ask a question may press star and one on their touchtone phone. You will hear a tone to indicate you're in queue. For participants using a speakerphone, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing any keys. If you wish to remove yourself from the question queue, you may press star and two. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Our first analyst question is from Prashant Rao with CT Group. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking the question. Um, I wanted to start with the offshore performance. Uh, you know, pricing obviously was, was held up pretty well. Um, and just wanted to kind of understand, you know, a lot of that's Lee Wan, I would imagine. Um, you know how the strength of that that margin contribution has has held up, and how are you thinking about that? I know you said you know what on an absolute margin basis what we should be expecting, but in terms of sort of pricing, um, you know, with contract expirations coming up, what what is that sort of? How should we be thinking about the puts and takes there as to sort of the going forward, like the through cycle profit profitability on that project? Um, it seems quite quite a handsome and a creative. Um, uh, segment for for you and for the combined entity, um, assuming the merger goes through. So, just wanted to get your thoughts there. Sure, uh, this is Rob Peabody. Um, you know, first of all, the, it's important to understand that the contracts are not expiring soon. There is uh, the only thing that's happening uh, in uh, in about I'm trying to think of the exact date 20, 2021 yeah. is there is a price adjustment that that is implemented right. under the contract and and that the price adjustments in the contract um, have to happen within a very narrow range kind of plus minus uh, 10% of the current pricing and they're attached to Guangdong City Gate prices but there's a floor under that the actual gas contracts for the uh, field are for life of field essentially uh, so they, they they continue for the rest of uh, the decade so uh, so I hope that helps just understand that in terms of the potential variability there. Yeah, that, 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 thank you. And I, I apologize. I should have said that it's adjustment to the pricing mechanism, not not the expiration of the contracts. My 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 miss uh, my my oh, no uh, no the other word there. Um, the other question I had, Rob, and sort of more broadly speaking, um, you know, we 
obviously heard you on the call on Sunday, um, but now that we have you uh, alone here, <laughs> sort of, um, you know, it's it's been an interesting uh, 12 months, right? From from you know the 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 bid for Meg to to now the prospective merger with Synovus. You know, just if you could take us through a bit of the narrative, um, you know, where how how the how this developed, you know, where were how are you thinking now that we have a deal on the table, you know? Of, of Husky as we've got went through the past 12 months and through the pandemic, sort of the broad strokes of how you're thinking might have changed in terms of, you know, being bought versus acquiring someone and um, maybe a little bit more background on when the conversations really started between you and Sinovus and picked up would be, would be helpful kind of just to give us a bit more of a timeline. Sure. I think, I mean, what's in common with both transactions, they're all driven by a a kind of sense of consolidation needs to happen in the industry overall. Um, and, and certainly that, that was a big driver. And of course, consolidation needs to happen in order to lower the cost base uh, for, for the industry, but more particularly for us. And, uh, and, and in the case of Sonovas, they have the same driver. Um, you know, again, you know, we see oil prices are a little further down today. We don't know where they'll be going tomorrow or the day after. But what we do know is the $1.2 billion of synergy that we can deliver makes, uh, makes more and more difference as the oil prices lower. And, and so that desire to create a resilient sort of integrated energy leader with a real low-cost upstream platform and uh, really, you know, extensive midstream and downstream network to allow it to be totally integrated was a real, you know, with a, was a real strong driver on the part of both companies. And uh, so, so I think that that kind of conversation has been going on for a while, of course. Um, and of course, there, you know, there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people <laughs> between Sonovas and ourselves. We know each other quite well. So some of those discussions went on for a while. But I would just go back to the driver here is we need to consolidate more in this industry. I've made that point a few times before. And both of those moves were in that direction. Uh, in the case of May, clearly, uh, you know, in the end, there wasn't a lot of desire to complete the transaction on their part. Um, and uh, so we didn't. And, uh, and in the case of Snovas, right from the start, both companies could see the compelling logic of putting this thing together. And so it was a great place to go. Thanks, Rev. Appreciate the color. I'll turn it over. The next question comes from Matt Murphy with Tudor Pickering Holt. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks. Uh, good morning. Just wondering if you could talk about how um, Superior is progressing and, and given we've now had some progress, as you guys have disclosed, on outlaying capital um, with appreciations, you've said many times this would be largely covered by insurance. I guess if you started to see some dollars trickling in on that yet, and apologies if it's in the disclosure, it's been a, a bit of a busy morning. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll turn it over in a minute uh, to... to uh... We'll turn it Jeff, over. Yeah. I guess to Jeff to talk a little bit more. But one thing I did want to point out in the quarter uh, was when it came to Superior, actually it's going well, uh, slower than the original plan because of COVID. We've had to, you know, kind of recognize in the construction program, but actually it isn't affecting productivity. It's just slowed up the pace a little bit. So I'm pretty pleased with that. Uh, specific and, and again, the insurance uh, the relationship discussions are going fine, 
But in this particular quarter, this was a quarter where, you know, the difference between the money we put out in Superior and the money that came back was in the order of 100 and $120 million. So one of the, one of the reasons you see a little less uh, funds uh, from operations here in aggregate is kind of a difference between, you know, inflows and outflows on Superior. Uh, but overall, that's going pretty well. But Jeff, did you want to add a... Yeah, no, I think, I think Rob uh, hit on it. Is, is, you know, you think, you know, we, had, we spent about... Seventy-nine million in uh, in capex for the queue, and and then just ongoing kind of costs in and around the facility for the queue. The quarter was about thirty million. And to Rob's point, we didn't uh, uh, didn't have insurance proceeds this quarter. We do expect that as as activity levels really start to ramp up on on site to really uh, in line with that, uh, start to see insurance recoveries come in. Uh, and we've collected, you know, I think about three, well, over three hundred million on uh, business interruption to date, and and a little under two hundred million on, on property damage to date. So we'd expect that recoveries to, uh, you know, to ramp up with the project. And and to Rob's point, this quarter we didn't, and you know, kind of net net, uh, you know, a little over of a hundred million kind of outflows in and around Superior. Yeah, I appreciate uh, the color on that. Maybe on the uh, on the path forward for West White Rose, um, just wondering if you could talk. From a high level, what sort of costs might be necessary if the decision ultimately is taken um, going forward not to proceed with it, um, de deconstructing, if you will, um, what has been constructed to date, or, or, or maybe perhaps if um, you could keep that that incubated for some time without having to uh, to rush into anything on the uh, on the cost front. Yeah, I I think what I would say there is uh, first we canceled the construction season for next year. Of course. You have to kind of do this on a seasonal basis because you can only do the installation on a seasonal basis. So you kind of get a chance once a year to decide whether or not you're going to try to keep it on schedule or defer it a year. Um, and, and the other point I'd make again is that, you know, looking forward on the project, the project has reasonable economics at quite low oil prices uh, to go forward with. However, you know, with quite low oil prices, you just only have so much money coming into the company and we need to we're always conscious of protecting the balance sheet and ensuring, you know, we continue with the investment grade credit ratings. And uh, so we just want to pace capital spending very carefully. Um, so, so looking forward on West White Rose, you know, we're putting the project into safekeeping mode. That means with the, the desire to move it forward again sometime in the future. And we're also talking to the Newfoundland government about you know ways that they can help to ensure that this project ultimately moves forward. So it's um, you know I'm I'm optimistic we'll eventually uh, get going uh, again. Uh, and as far as sort of in the in the in the case where that doesn't happen, uh, we can kind of we we haven't gone into all the I don't want to get into all the that scenario at the moment. Although certainly we've we've modeled it and we're happy with it. And for the purposes of this transaction, I know that we took a very conservative case on this and assumed almost the worst case on West White Rose. And, and still, we were able to show in the transaction, again, with the synergies and everything else, that under all price scenarios for both companies, the transaction would result in higher uh, funds flow uh, per share and higher free cash flow per share than either company could generate on its own. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks. The next question comes from Greg Pardee with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. 
Yeah, thanks. Good morning. I, I guess first is, guys, this is probably the last call we're going to be doing for a while. So it, it's been a lot of years, and it's been great to work with you, and, and all the very best as, as you go forward. Um, Thank you. Really, it was just kind of an operations call, um, and I'm wondering if we can just maybe just dig into Liwan a bit. Um, uh, if you can just remind us on on 29.1, uh, just maybe a bit more on you know we know it's ramping up. Is it going to the quarter? Is that going to be additive? Do you think to the production profile? Not going too crazy, but just want to better understand Liwan, and then also you know fully recognize there's a merger coming down here, but. The other piece of the equation would just be getting a sense as to kind of what's locked and loaded uh, with respect to offshore Indonesia uh, development. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks, Greg. I'll, I'll, I think the, the, the good news is uh, 29.1, of course, as I say, it actually came in a reasonable amount under budget and, and on schedule. And uh, it is, uh, you know, it is expected to uh, start up production. It's all ready to go. Everything has been clean. We were just, it's just actually the, the off taker uh, taking the gas on the first day and their contractual, the contract kicks in on November 1st and we expect, uh, we expect them to start lifting gas on November 1st. And it will be, you know, it will be incremental in the near, you know, in the near term to, uh, to the base uh, Liwan production. Of course, over the longer haul, over, you know, in, over a few as as we move forward uh, and Lee Wan starts coming off, this starts being more of an infill. But certainly in the next year or so, it's going to be it's going to be incremental to the base load on Lee Wan. So uh, so we're pretty you know so that that's great to see and it's been a really really solid project and 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 we're in a really good place on Indonesia again. It actually feels like we're uh, you know Indonesia is always a place where you have to be patient. Um, as Bob Hinkle, who runs that area for us, of course, says Indonesia moves slow until it moves really fast. And uh, so we are getting some very positive indications right now on the next two fields. It looks like all, the, you know, there were issues with some of the uh, contractors involved in, in uh, putting the FPSO in place and that getting all their proper financing in place. It looks like that's essentially been all tied up now. All the permits are in place to move forward. The gas contracts are in place, so that's looking like uh, we're 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 now looking much more confident about a startup in about 2022 yes. for for the next two sort of developments in Indonesia. And it's fairly fairly low capex. You're talking I think in the figure 60 70 million dollars just from drill X, great. Yeah. Okay. And sorry, can you just remind us on on pricing? It's it's pretty good as I as I recall. Gas pricing. Yeah, typically what we see in uh, in uh, Indonesia is you know you're at that six dollar inflating, and we we sell into industrial users, and this is I think more in kind of line closer to seven, so it's right in the range of, of that's U.S. And that's uh, yeah, that's U.S. That's just US to Thanks, Rob. Okay. Okay. Terrific. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Greg. The next question comes from Mike Dunn with Stifle. Please go ahead. Well, thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, probably not hi, Mike. topical. Hi, hi, Rob. Um, might not be an overly topical question with the quarter, but just thought I'd uh, look for the detail while while I can get you on the phone here. But um, the Superior Refinery, um, you know, coming back online in 2022, um, you know, versus I guess the refinery design pre pre the um, 
the fire, I think there's some enhancements being added. Can you maybe just frame for us like what you might expect, you know, I guess on a gross margin or operating margin basis, wh where the, you know, the, the 2022 new refinery will be expected to stack up relative to Toledo and, uh, and Lima in terms of uh, margin. It's a smaller uh, refinery. So I'm, I'm assuming the, the operating costs per barrel would be, would be higher, but uh, you know, your, your less pipeline tolls and um, et cetera. So um, maybe if you could just frame that uh, for me, that would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Jeff Brinker talk to sort of, especially stalk, talking to what are the capabilities of the refinery. And then, you know, of course it all depends on the margins on the day and things like that, but go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, thank, thanks, Rob. Yeah. The, um, the main thing that we're doing differently with the configuration of the refinery when we start it back up again is we're going to the refinery will be able to run in continuous mode. In, in the past, this is a refinery that that swung back and forth between heavy mode and light mode, and when you're constantly swinging back and forth between slates like that, you get lower utilization. Um, so the new refinery, same configuration, same process units, roughly the same product slate. Um, but it will be able to run in continuous mode at higher utilization. So we'll get the same, we'll get more throughput on an annual basis through roughly the same size to kit. Uh, so that's the main difference. Um, and in terms of what the margin performance is going to be, we, we like the uh, the strategic location of the refinery, always have. It's the first refinery on the Enbridge main line when you go into the U.S. And so it's really a good location for, for both for access to crude and also for a company that likes uh, trading along the integrated value chain like we do. It's a really a very valuable asset. Um, and what's, you know, so the, in terms of margin performance, you just got to, you've got to just, it's going to depend, of course, on what kind of heavy spreads we get. The refinery will be able to run about 25,000 barrels a day of heavy out of a total throughput of about 45,000 barrels a day. So in terms of just being a heavy refinery, it's kind of in the range of Toledo in terms of percent heavy in the feed and, and more heavy than, than, Lima, than Lima is. Um, and, of course, it's not a fully upgrading refinery. It is an asphalt-making refinery, not a coking refinery, so it's a little bit lower margin than if it were a fully upgraded refinery. Um, I hope, think that's, that's broadly how we're thinking about it. But yeah. the value is not, it's not, you've got to think about superior and the value it creates, not just inside the refinery gates, but also, you know, it's, its location in the value chain and what that allows us to do as well. Yeah, it's also a great addition for our asphalt business, and which is a very consistent earner for us, much less uh, variability in the margins there. And uh, we're, a, you know, I think as a Husky standalone, we're around 5% of the North American sort of asphalt business, and uh, this will get us up to sort of 7% or something in that range. So it's a, it's a nice extension to that business. Understood. Thanks. That's helpful. Uh, you can probably understand... Uh, it's always tough for us, uh, you know, in our chairs to, um, to to model a lot of those logistical synergies yeah. outside of uh, outside of the refinery itself. But we certainly understand uh, that that they exist, even if our our models might not be uh, forecasting them. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. The next question comes from Benny Wong with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for uh, taking my question. Um, just had a quick question around uh, the synergies. I know you guys have the 1.2 billion target uh, as a combined basis, and there's potential for, for upside. And one of the things was indicated was potentially running some of the FCCL 
barrels through your upgrader or administer system. Is there any way, high level way to think about the benefits of that? Is it just really hedging out the, the differential volatility or is there any, any you know, yield benefit or product benefit that might come from, from running those barrels through that system that we have, should think about? Uh, yeah, Benny, you know, you know, John and I have had many sort of chats on this, and, and, and John McKenzie at Synovus, and of course he knows our assets very well too, so he's got some pretty clear ideas. Now, some of them are longer term and will require a bit of capital as well, so they're not short-term things that we're doing, and that's one of the reasons we didn't include them in any of the sort of initial synergies, the 600 and 600. And uh, but, but looking forward, a lot of them have to do with the ability to shorten the diluent loop in North America. He's very conscious of just how much diluent he has to truck all around North America. And he sees that Lloydminster site and, and the equipment there, plus potentially some additions as a really great opportunity to shorten that diluent loop and take a whole bunch of money out of the, out of the cost base over the long haul. I think that's that's kind of I, I would summarize it. There's lots of other ideas that they have, but you know that's one of the big ideas I think that comes into the thinking. Great, thank you very much. Thanks, Benny. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Rob Peabody for any closing remarks. Well, thanks very much. I really appreciate everybody who tuned in. Uh, we're certainly looking forward to working with Synovus on, on the planning to unite our people and the complementary suite of assets to deliver on the full potential of this resilient new company. This is a new chapter for all of us. I look forward to working closely with the team in the coming months to complete this transaction so the combined company can continue to responsibly provide essential energy to North America and the world. Thanks again for joining us today. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.